you are receiving this transmission, you are reclaiming the faith with Phil Baker on the Fourth Watch Radio Network. Welcome to episode 42 of Reclaiming the Faith, a podcast with a mission to reveal what the earliest Christians believed about the core issues facing us today. I'm your host, Phil Baker. Now let's dig into history. Hey, y'all, thank you so much for taking time to listen to Reclaiming the Faith. Thank you for praying for me and my family. Thank you for praying for my podcasting partners, BDK and Justin Fall of the Fourth Watch Radio Network. Please continue to do so. Well, I'm blessed to be joined by BDK of Omega Frequency for a three-part episode on 21st century Phariseeism. Here in episode 42, we begin part one of this eye-opening interview by looking at the human traditions surrounding discipleship and how these miss the mark of what Jesus calls his followers to in the Great Commission. Well, before we get into the rest of the show notes, I want to give you a preview of another song off my upcoming EP, The Shadows EP. It's going to be available for purchase or download on February 19th. So without any further ado, this is Revival. Presence, oh God, cleanse us with fire, lift up the cross in awe of your glory, broken by sin. Come and breathe new life in your people again. Oh, give us faith like we were children. Your kingdom, oh give us joy To sing your praises with all that we are Oh give us hope that's overflowing Oh let us love with your devotion Lord hear our cry, be glorified And revive our hearts Spirit of God Alright, well Again, that was a song called Revival off my upcoming seven-song EP called The Shadows EP. It's going to be available on February 22nd, or sorry, February 19th, my fault, on uh, iTunes, Amazon, Amazon CD Baby, and you can purchase those digital tracks or you can buy a physical copy of the album as well. Well, if you're blessed by this episode, I want to encourage you to leave a review, an honest review on my iTunes channel, Reclaiming the Faith, and if you have any uh, questions about this episode, you can definitely email me at emailphilsbaker at gmail.com. You can find all kinds of stuff on my website, links to my blog, links to uh, the CD, and links to my book on my website, philsbaker.com. And that book, New Wineskins and the Simple Words of Christ, came out in two, 2016. And if you've read that book and it's been a blessing to you, please leave an honest review on my uh, on that page on Amazon. And uh, I just want to let y'all know it's not just physical copies of the book, but you can also there's also a Kindle uh, version as well. So please check that out. Like I said earlier, I'm blessed to be a part of the Fourth Watch Radio Network with Justin Fall. 
along with BDK of Omega Frequency, who I do a monthly Q&A show with called Ready With An Answer. And you can find that episode on uh, the, the Justin Fall Fourth Watch Radio Network uh, podcast or on BDK's podcast, Omega Frequency. And finally, the early Christian quotes I use can generally be found on the CD-ROM version of the Anti-Nicene Fathers, which you can purchase for a mere $5 on the Scroll Publishing website, scrollpublishing.com. All right. Well, I'm super excited to get this interview rolling. So let's go ahead and start episode 42, 21st Century Evangelism with BDK, part one. All right. Well, thanks so much for coming on the show, BDK. How are you doing this evening? I'm doing good, brother. How are you tonight? <laughs> yeah, man. Doing really good. It's always good to be able to talk with you, man. Thanks so much for doing this this show with me. Oh, it's my pleasure, man. It's my pleasure. All right. Well, just in case there are any new listeners out there, would you mind telling the folks a little bit about your show, how to connect with you, and maybe a few things you got coming down the pike? All right, so my show is uh, Omega Frequency, as in the end frequency. Um, we started off as a podcast that mainly discussed end times Bible prophecy, and we moved into a podcast that discusses, okay, the end is coming, what should we do about it now? Um, what we have coming down the pike is more biblical teaching, more ready with an answer, episodes that you co-host with me um we got man we got some awesome questions coming up um in february we have uh show we have uh questions from people who are not believers again writing in asking really really good questions about hell and things like that mm. so it's going to be awesome basically man we just want to love people and we want to give people biblical truth in this end times and the easiest way to listen to us is just to uh, go into your podcast player of choice, type in Omega Frequency or Fourth Watch Radio Network, either one, and just start perusing the shows. Or you can always get a hold of me by visiting our website, which is OmegaFrequency.com. Awesome, awesome. All right, so uh, tonight we're going to be talking about modern-day Phariseeism. And it may be a little bit different than folks are used to, but uh, before we get rolling, I know you had a couple of words you wanted to share at the get-go. Yeah, I mean, this is going to be a hard show, but it's going to be a show that's going to be worth it. Uh, we're going to talk about some controversial things, and we're going to talk about some of the dirty laundry that's happening in the modern church movement. We're going to try to be respectful. We're going to try not to like throw people out or throw people under the bus. But we want to have an honest conversation about some of the modern Phariseeism that has entered into the church and the need for true biblical discipleship. And in order to do that, we're going to have to wade through some dicey waters. And I know some people are going to say, why are you airing the church's dirty laundry? Why are you judging something within the church? Are you guys heresy hunting again? And we're really not. I just am at the point where I think Satan loves the sound of silence. Paul talks about this in 1 Corinthians 5.12. For what have I to do with judging outsiders? Is it not those inside the church whom you are to judge? 
And we seem to get that backwards, right? We judge heavily the sinners outside the church, but we keep stone cold silent about the church and about the error and about those promoting it because we don't want to offend or name names or cause division. And Satan is so, 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 so happy when we become stone cold silent. Um, I posted something on the internet the other day by Pastor Clendenin. He said Satan's only antagonism in this age is the church. And if he can neutralize that church by infiltrating it, setting up tears, he's destroyed his only antagonism. Hmm. And that's why tonight we're going to contend for the faith. Because I'm not anti-church. I'm pro-church. I'm pro the body of Christ. I want to see it well and healthy. I want to see it holy. I want to see it in revival. I want to see it walking in the same power that Christ walked in. And it's our duty to stand up against Satan so we cannot be silent any longer. We cannot fail to address these controversial topics. Yeah, man. And, you know, sometimes we're so close to to something that it's hard to see um, objectively. Uh, like I remember one time, the first time I had my son uh, trim the hedges in, in front of our old house, uh, he was trimming a, a row that was about, 15 feet long and I walked out and kind of looked at it and I was like, man this kind of looks like a Gumby haircut and uh, <laughs> he's like what are you talking about it's totally straight and so I took him out to the street and said okay now turn around and look at the hedges and then he saw it and he was like oh man I didn't he didn't realize because he was too close to it that it it was at a, like a diagonal slant. He had to step back and look at it to be able to see it clearly. And we're not sitting here claiming that we, you and I, see clearly. What we're trying to do, like we are the standard. What we're trying to do is hold up the ancient standard and compare that to what's going on today. Because like you and I, were both like heavily in institutionalized Christianity for a while. And then you got out of it and I got out of it and now I'm back in it. Um, but we both have the privilege of, of taking like a step back to see things differently. I'm not hoping not putting words in your mouth. <laughs> Am I? No, no, that's, that's a perfect analogy, man. Yeah, man. So, so tonight, to talk about uh, Phariseeism, we'll, I want to first start by looking at the origin of the Pharisees. And to do that, what we have to do is look at the origin of Hellenism. So Hellenism is the Greek way of life. It's the Greek worldview. And you can see the beginnings of Hellenism basically with Alexander the Great around 330 uh BC. And so Alexander, he's been called like the greatest missionary ever uh, next to the Apostle Paul. Because this guy had a mission. He wanted to bring the good news, basically, of Hellenism to the world. He really believed that if everybody could see the Greek way of life, the world would be changed for the better. And so he had that this mission. And so he began to to take over the world, like one city at a time, one kingdom at a time, 
But his main goal was not to just squash people into oblivion to get them to change, but rather to show them the, the beauty of it. And so when Hellenism first, be, first came to, to Israel, to Judah and Israel, that, that area, um, what they did was, instead of trying to squash the Jews originally, they began to bring sports to the Jews, the gladiatorial games and such. And these Jewish boys had never seen these kinds of things, and they were just enthralled by them, the sports. They also brought the theater, the Greek dramas, right, which uh, portrayed things that were quite appealing and also forbidden for Jewish boys to, to watch. And last, they brought the education in the, in the gymnasium, which... Um, where a lot of things happen and they were done in the nude. And the reason for that is that the Greeks believed the human body was the epitome of beauty. And just like beauty comes from within, the Greeks thought truth came from within too. So it's, it's very similar to what we would think of as humanism. So the Ptolemies were very uh, gentle in bringing the the Jews into Hellenism, into Hellenistic way of thinking. But eventually the Ptolemies uh, got overrun by the Seleucids. And the Seleucids, uh, starting with like Antiochus the, uh, the third, and then getting into Antiochus the fourth, the one that we know as Antiochus Epiphanes. This is in the middle, uh, like one, it's like 167, 168. That, that time BC. The Seleucids with Antiochus the fourth, I mean, he began to just crush the Jews, to force them to become Hellenistic. And so he began to say things like Jews could not assemble for prayer, the Sabbath was forbidden, the scriptures were forbidden, circumcision was forbidden, dietary laws were forbidden, and they had to offer pagan sacrifices to Jews. That was a, a mandate. And so if you read the book of first and second Maccabees, um, you can see a lot of this play out and it's horrific. And I plan on one day soon doing a podcast on how the book of first and books of first and second Maccabees kind of, uh, they're kind of like a shadow of what will happen to Christians, uh, during the tribulation. But we'll leave that for another time. So anyways, things got really bad, and you have the uh, Hasmoneans, which are like Judah the Maccabee, and his dad and his brothers, they began to revolt against Antiochus, and uh, they eventually win their freedom. This is how the story of Hanukkah, uh, where its origins are. And uh, so out of this, you develop these people called the uh, Hasidim, which means like the pious ones. And uh, they this means like separated or pious ones. And they considered obedience to the Torah um, to be the heart of a godly life. They separated themselves from sinful ways and people in their desire to be faithful. And they believed strongly in God's judgment and a resurrection where men would be rewarded or punished according to their deeds. This consisted of the largest Jewish sect during Jesus's lifetime. 
and exerted great control over society through synagogues. And so, like, you could think of, you know, why did the Jews go into exile? Well, they had, like, forbidden the Torah, you know, or, sorry, they forsaken the Torah. You know, they had forsaken God's laws when they got um, brought into Babylon. Like, they had turned their back on God and began to worship uh, the gods of the pagan cultures. And so these Hasidim, these Pharisees, were like, never again. We're going to make sure that we are totally devoted to God. We're going to make sure that we keep God's laws because we don't want the curse to come on us from, you know, Deuteronomy 29. We want to live in God's blessing in Deuteronomy 28. And um, so they had, they had origins that were based out of like, honorable, honorable uh, goals, honorable desires. You know, these Pharisees, they believed in the entire Old Testament as law. They accepted oral interpretation of the Old Testament, something we're about to come to. They believed that study of the Torah was the highest act of worship. Um, And so this was really, is a good thing, except this oral tradition of the Old Testament. Eventually, because, you know, how do you keep the Sabbath? How do you love your neighbor as yourself? Uh, These things were hotly debated. And so they began to value the teachings of the, the lawyers, the teachings of the scribes, the teachings of the rabbis above the simple commandments that God had laid out. And you can see an example of this. In Matthew 15, in Jesus's day, you can see how they had turned from being pious ones, from Pharisees who kept God's commands to descending into what we would call Phariseeism. So I'm going to read a little bit of Matthew 15. It says, uh, then some Pharisees and scribes came to Jesus from Jerusalem and said, why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? For they do not wash their hands when they eat bread. And he answered them and said, Why do you yourselves transgress the commandment of God for the sake of your tradition? For God said, Honor your father and mother. And he who speaks evil of father and mother is to be put to death. But you say, Whoever says to his father or mother, Whatever I have, whatever I have that would help you has been given to God, or you know, Corbin. He is not he is not to honor his father and mother. And by this, you invalidated the word of God for the sake of your tradition. You hypocrites, rightly did Isaiah prophesy of you that these people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. But in vain do they worship me, teaching his doctrine, the precepts of men. And that really is where I land with what is Phariseeism. It is elevating the teachings of men to doctrine status for the purpose of not keeping God's commands. And sometimes, you know, Phariseeism has been taught that it's just like you're all about following the rules. Well, yes and no. It's all about following man's rules, not God's rules valuing human tradition above the simple words of Christ. And uh, Irenaeus, 
Irenaeus highlights this, as does Cyprian. I'm going to give a couple of quotes, and unless you have something you wanted to, to say, do you, do you BDK? Um, I'll wait till you're done with the history. Okay, cool. So here's a little bit of, of Irenaeus uh, talking about Matthew 15. He says, as also Isaiah says, this people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Howbeit in vain do they worship me, teaching the doctrines and commandments of men. So he's quoting the Isaiah passage as well as like where Jesus cites that in, in Matthew 15. And then he continues, he goes, he does not call the law given by Moses commandments of men, but the traditions of the elders themselves, which they had invented and in upholding which they had made the law of God of none effect and were on this account also not subject to his words. So, you know, again, Irenaeus is saying they elevated the tradition so they wouldn't have to be subject to God's word. Here's Cyprian in 250. He goes, none, of, none is to be followed but Christ, right? We're not supposed to follow anybody but Christ. Assuredly, therefore, it behooves us to obey and do that which Christ did and what he commanded to be done. And that Christ alone ought to be heard. The Father also testifies from heaven, saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. Therefore, if Christ alone must be heard, we ought not to give heed to what another before us may have thought was to be done, but rather what Christ, who was before all, first did. Neither is it becoming to follow the practice of man, but the truth of God, since God speaks by the prophet Isaiah and says, In vain do they worship me, teaching the commandments and doctrines of man. And again, the Lord in the gospel repeals the same saying, saying, You reject the commandment of God that you may keep your own tradition. So what I'm trying to do, it, it may seem like a, a modern definition of Phariseeism to some who are listening, but really it's an ancient definition of Phariseeism from the early Christians where folks elevated the traditions of man in order to not keep the commandments of Christ. And so tonight we're going to look at three areas where this is being done. We're going to look at the traditions of discipleship. We're going to look at the tradition of the church's relationship with early governments. And we're going to look at the traditions of institutional Christianity. So... BDK, do you want to hit on something now? Because I'm done before we get into the traditions of discipleship. No, the only thing I would add is a lot of times people, like you say, get it twisted that Phariseeism is this strict observance of Old Testament law when it really, in effect, was the observance of the traditions of men. You have to understand there was also a third sect within Phariseeism that you don't hear talked about much of the time, and it was called the Kenite set. Mm. Have you ever heard of that? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, they believed that the traditions of the elders, the traditions of men, the hand-washing, all that other stuff, anything that wasn't written Torah was not to be observed. And so therefore it was a smaller sect. They were always fighting with that sect because Phariseeism is that way of safeguarding the Torah by adding all your own man-made rules and regulations, it was highly probable that Jesus was actually a Kenite Jew. Hmm. And that was probably one of the reasons he fought so hard with the Pharisees, because he demanded strict observance to the will of God 
not so much the traditions of men. So when we talk about everything that we're talking about tonight, just keep in mind that this Pharisee spirit, as some would call it, isn't so much a spirit that demands that, you know, you have to keep this, 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 and this. It's a spirit that elevates, for selfish reason, their own traditions and traditions of men over the words of Christ and over obedience to the revelation of Christ and his word. Yeah, amen. Amen, dude. Um, so let's begin with uh, the traditions of discipleship. I, I want to start with um, a quote a good buddy of mine showed me, and it says this, uh, Things have come to be less about the mission of the church and more about the maintenance of the institution. And, I mean, that was like a kick in the gut for me. Uh, when I heard that, that the church is not so much concerned about the real mission of the church, but more about the maintenance of the institution. And what is the mission of the church? Well, that's, that's found in Matthew 28, 18 through 20. It's called the Great Commission. and says, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth, Jesus said. So go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe, to keep, to obey all that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. So this is like the heartbeat of discipleship, making disciples. And I just want to highlight two real quick uh, traditional approaches to discipleship that miss the mark. Um, and that's first would be something that I heard a lot in the Baptist church, which was basically making disciples means making converts. So like every Christian is a disciple of Jesus, you know, and um, that's just simply not true. Uh, just because you call yourself a Christian, if you're not following Jesus, you're not being a disciple. Like the whole goal of a disciple is to become like his rabbi. Not just to know what the rabbi knows, but to also do what the rabbi does in every respect. And that's why they would be called, like a, a disciple would be someone who's covered in the dust of his rabbi because they're literally walking right behind the rabbi, observing every single thing that the rabbi would do. And so over the course of the day, in a dusty place like Israel, if you're following that close to someone, you're literally going to be covered in their dust. And that's how closely these people would be following, both literally and metaphorically. And so it's not just about converts. That's not, that's not the mission. Because he says, teach them to observe everything that I've commanded you. So we're literally supposed to be teaching people how to follow Jesus through his commands. And so in order for them to know his commands, we have to teach them his commands and teach them how to follow his commands. So the second, um, the second way that, uh, I think discipleship has been kind of co-opted in a sense is basically teaching people to do what you do in church. Mm. Right. So like, if I'm teaching people how to write curriculum for children, then I'm doing discipleship. Now, 
I may be making a disciple there, but I'm making a disciple of myself. I'm not making a disciple of Jesus necessarily, unless I'm teaching people to observe everything that Jesus taught. Does that make sense? Yeah, it's kind of like what Paul said, you follow me as I have followed Christ. It's a literal chain or a walking or a following in the master's footsteps. Right. It's not just me showing you how to do something that helps maintain the institution. It's teaching people to follow Jesus, teaching them what Jesus taught and helping them to live that out. But in order for that to happen, we have to be breaking open the word of God. We have to be talking about the commands of Christ and we have to be working that out together. So, um, how do you feel BDK about the state of discipleship in the American church? And like, what are you, what do you believe are like some traditions that hinder us from fulfilling the great commission in in purity, in simplicity? Well, that's the thing. It's purity and simplicity, right? And I like what you said about the disciples that were chosen by their rabbi. They were covered in the dust of the rabbi. Um, That rabbi or teacher literally called and said, follow me, and they were to follow their master around. Mm. And you would think that their goal would be to learn their master's teachings. And that was a part of it, but that wasn't the main focus. Like you said, the biggest goal was to learn to act like their master to see a situation and see how the master engaged in that situation so that when a similar situation happened to them, that they would be able to engage like it. We see that literally worked out when Jesus sends out the 72, right? Hmm. Like they're following around, they're seeing Jesus uh, cast out devils, heal the sick, proclaim the gospel of the kingdom of God being at hand. And Jesus gives them the exact same mission. He says, go proclaim the kingdom of God, heal the sick, cast out devils. Everything we are to do is to be patterned after Jesus, and people think that that's a really high task. And I wonder if uh, part of the reason we have so many systems and programs is because we want to simplify that method into an easy, teachable way. But there's only one really true, simple way to follow Christ, and it's so simple that we rob people of the simplicity. There's only one way and one will of God, and that's to be led by the one who lives inside of us, right? Mm. So as we are led by the Spirit of God, we become the sons of God. The Spirit lives inside of us, it leads us, it empowers us, and as we are empowered by the same Spirit that empowered Jesus, we are then led by the same Spirit that led Jesus. And we are to be like the disciples, and we need to replicate this spirit-filled life that Jesus lived. And that's the mission. Like you said, the mission isn't the maintenance of the church. The mission is to replicate a spirit-filled life on earth to be God's address. Mm. Acts 10.38 says how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and with power, who went about doing good and healing all that were oppressed of the devil, for God was with him. How often do we go about doing good as Jesus went about doing good? Hmm. How often have we failed to bring healing to the oppressed as Jesus did? This stands in stark contrast 
uh, to the opposition that the Pharisees gave and that Jesus had with the Pharisees. Um, Jesus took the Pharisees to task by this all the time about their way of creating disciples, which was load people up with rules and mandates instead of simply following and being led by their Messiah. Hmm. He says in Matthew 23, 1-4, for they bind heavy burdens and grievous to be born and lay them on men's shoulders, but they themselves will not move them one of their fingers. In Matthew 23, 15, it says, Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you compass sea and land to make one proselyte or disciple, and when he is made, ye make him twofold more the child of hell than yourself. This is because they had all those rules, all those regulations, and like you said when in the beginning, right, it came from a good place. These people wanted to set themselves apart from the Hellenistic Greek way. They wanted to safeguard this so that they wouldn't be culturally overrun by the Greeks. But when they did this, instead of following the words and the commands of God and returning to God as the Father and living in purity and holiness and being the light that they were supposed to be to the world, they built up all these systems of gates and rules and regulations and said, we're safeguarding what we have. And because of that, they put so many burdens and so many oppressions on people. And Jesus came to set the oppressed people free. And because all they taught was a system of observances and formulas, they themselves wouldn't even keep it, according to Jesus. Hmm. And this is the difference between Jesus and his disciples and the Pharisees and their disciples, Jesus, for three and a half years, invited his disciples to follow him around, eat what he ate, drink what he drank, literally cover themselves, like you said, in his dust. But he did that so that they would model him. But when Jesus came in contact with the Pharisees in Matthew 23, 1 through 3, he took them to task. He said, then spake Jesus to the multitudes and to his disciples saying, The scribes and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat. All therefore whatsoever they bid you observe, that observe and do. But do not ye after their works, for they say and do not. Or as the NLT says, don't follow their example, for they don't practice what they teach. Jesus was saying, yeah, these people have authority in the religion because they're sitting in the seat of Moses, or they're sitting in the in the seat that they have this control over the Torah and it's profitable that you listen to them because you have to listen. There's this, there's a system of authority here on earth, but listen to what they say, but don't do what they do. It was the exact opposite of what Jesus did to his disciples, right? Follow me and learn of me for I am meek and lowly of spirit and humble of heart. He would literally engage them to follow him. But to the Pharisees, he says, don't, don't do not do what they do. Don't follow their, their actions because they teach a lot of stuff and they think they have everything safeguarded, but they don't practice what they teach. Hmm. So how do you think the state of Phariseeism in Jesus' day uh, in terms of discipleship is comparable to today, how discipleship is being um, lived out? Well, here's how we let's bring it back to this idea of converts and disciples and how we confuse the two. 
So in modern day church movements, and speaking as a former pastor, you yourself, pastor, former pastor, now you're back into institutionalized religion, um, we view success rates based on the number of conversions or the number of people attending church. And so we have to build a model that's sustainable, and we are interested in the numbers that attend our church. We're interested in um, the programs that we can give. Like we want to have at least seven or eight good programs, one for the children, one for the teens, one for the youth, one for the senior citizens, one for the singles, one for the the married people. We want to have a men's study, a woman's study. We want to have AA, Alcoholics Anonymous meet on Thursday nights in our basement. We basically have all of these systems and programs in place to offer people, to entice people to come in. And there's nothing wrong with trying to meet the needs of your people, but that's if that's the attraction, then it's not the Holy Spirit. You see, in Jesus was really smart about this. You read the Great Commission before, and Jesus gives the Great Commission, and then you see him up on that, that mount of olives before he's about ready to go into heaven. And he's like, now, before you do one other thing, before you take one more step, before you even put one foot to the, the earth and one hand to the plow of doing this great commission, you need to wait until you're endued with the power to do it. And the reason is twofold, because the first reason is God wants to literally deposit all of heaven's resources within his church. And he doesn't need any of the, he didn't tell him to like go and do it the Pharisee way or go and make rules and regulations or go out and cross the seas like the Pharisees did to make proselytes. He says, no, wait for the spirit of God to be inside of you, to come upon you so that you can be led by the Spirit of God, so that you can be empowered by the Spirit of God. And the second thing that did was not only did it make all of heaven's resources available to the church, but all of the glory goes to God because you're only using his resources to win souls. And so when we go forth under the power of the Holy Spirit, and now our mission is different. Our mission is okay, now we've been empowered by the Spirit of God, and we're being led by the Spirit of God, therefore we are the sons of God. Let's actually go out and make disciples. Let's go invest our lives into other people's lives and teach them the things of Christ so that they can go and they can spread forth this message, right? Mm. So, like, basically, and then I'll let you jump in, um, because I just caught something in my head. Like, think about it this way. We are to go and we are to basically preach the same thing that Jesus preached. What did Jesus preach? Behold, the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God is here. Yeah. Repent. Correct? Yeah. And he wasn't talking about heaven future. He was talking about the kingdom of God present. Right. He said, repent for the kingdom of God is here. And it's a temporal kingdom, it's, it's an invisible kingdom, it's a spiritual kingdom, it's a rival nation to this nation here on earth. What are we commissioned to do? 
We're commissioned to go out and live in such a way and preach in such a way that people see the difference between this earthly kingdom and this invisible kingdom. Because how will they ever know what they're being saved from and how will they ever know the reason to live as a disciple of a spiritual kingdom unless they can see the difference? Correct? Yeah. So what we have to do is we have to get back to doing it the way Jesus did it. We need to get back to the way the early church did it for the first 300 years of Christianity because we have to provide that alternative. We have to be able to say this is the kingdom of God. We can't muddy it up with traditions, programs, politics, buildings, all these things that are superficial. Because the more we act like the world, the less the unsaved person or the person who needs to be discipled will have an idea of the goal that they're supposed to shoot for, which is to be a soldier, ambassador, citizen of a rival nation. And so we can't muddy the water or murky the image. We have to not only speak about the differences, but we have to live the differences out so that we become a walking advertisement for a different country. more of this I swear Never thought I'd see such darkness everywhere You must think much more of me I guess You must see some purpose in this mess Be still my soul and see his face be still my soul and feel embraced and all this pain it won't end in waste be still be still my soul Be still my soul 